Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. This is the Action Network Podcast. It's good for the win. Welcome into the Action Network Podcast. This is your UFC Fight Night 203 preview. They're at the UFC Apex facility in Vegas this weekend. Brendan Glasheen with the Action Network's senior writer, Sean Zarillo, and former professional MMA fighter and MMA analyst, Billy Ward. We will take you through the card, highlight some key fights that the guys are eyeing, the fight of the night that these two are honing in on besides the main event, favorite underdog plays, some prop bets that you can look at this weekend, a daily fantasy outlook from Billy, more specifically. Chama way into, and we'll get to best bets for Saturday's main card. Gentlemen, let's start with the main event. Tiago Santos taking on Magomed Ankalaev this weekend. Santos coming off a five-round win last time out. It's a heavyweight fight. Looking forward to this one. Sean, what is your opening thought on the main event for the weekend? Yeah, we saw Islam Makachev come in a couple of weeks ago, the uncrowned lightweight champ, Ankalaev, your uncrowned light heavyweight champion. And you see it baked into the line, basically implying at around 85% that he would be favored against anybody in the 205-pound division, including the champion Glover Teixeira or the number one contender, Yuri Prohachka. And I would probably bet Ankalaev around minus 200 against either of those guys. I think he has the skill advantage everywhere against Thiago Santos. He's the better striker. Tiantos is a good... Sh- Santos is a good striker, but I don't think that he has all the tools to necessarily keep up with Ankalaev, who can fight out of both stances, power in both hands. And really, the advantage comes through the grappling, and that's where Ankalaev has the most upside here. We saw Santos sort of get ragdolled by Alexander Rakic a couple of fights back. I think Ankalaev can control him up against the fence on the ground for long stretches of time, good ground and pound as well, so it'll actually put some damage on Santos, unlike what we saw from Rakic. The one concern on the Ankalaev side and the one place I could see him losing eventually in the future is output. Tends to get sucked into low output striking battles on the feet, more of a counter striker. So if you don't engage, his output numbers aren't really going to be up there. He tends to get a knockdown in every fight. So he'll still around with power in at least each one of his fights. But I could see a scenario eventually in the future where he's not able to hurt his opponent, maybe not able to grapple them. And he just gets sort of edged out on volume. So I think that's something to look for in the future. I don't necessarily think Santos has much of a path to victory in this fight. Traditionally, he's a guy with a sledgehammer tattooed on his chest. You would think he's a guy who carries a ton of power, but he injured his knee in those John Jones fight, got a couple of knee surgeries, hasn't come back quite as explosive. So I don't think he's carrying necessarily as much power as he had before. Don't give him as much of a punter's chance as you would typically expect for a guy in a 205 pound fight. Some puncher's chance always there, but I think Ankalaev has him covered pretty much everywhere. Parlayed him up with some Bellator guys like Mads Brunel, Eagle FC like Kevin Lee. 
So have them sprinkled around in parlays somewhere minus 600 or better. I think Ankala is a fine parlay piece. The one bet I would look at, which caught my interest, not the over three and a half rounds, though I did look at that. If, it was that, if that was over two and a half, I'd probably play it. But Ankala, I have to win inside the distance, plus 120 at BetMGM. They're giving you plus 130 by knockout and around plus 800 by submission. So they're telling you that his inside the distance odds should be around 55%, closer to minus 120, and you're getting plus 120. So Ankalive inside the distance, plus 120 at BetMGM. I think that's the best way I'd play this fight individually, but otherwise I'm just tossing Ankalive around in parlays. He's your future light heavyweight champion, one of my favorite fighters in the UFC. Heavy, heavy, heavy favorite in this heavyweight fight. And what stands out when you look at the two fighters and what jumps off the page is his percentages by decision, 44% of his wins by decision this year. Billy, also weave in some daily fantasy for us here because you looked at the salaries and Ankalaev, not only his betting prospects that you can discuss now, but also you think there's a striking, there's something striking about his salary that folks should be aware of. Yeah, just with how expensive Ankalaev is, and as Sean brought up, his output isn't the best. So if he doesn't get an early finish, there's a good chance that he ends up with a decent score, but not enough to be in the optimal lineup. We've got five or six fights on this card that are minus 200 or better to end by stoppage. A lot of those, the guys are significantly cheaper. So I'm okay with fading this one, especially in GPPs. In cash games, you're probably just going to plug him in. Like he's almost definitely going to have a solid score. But yeah, I'm with Sean. I think he the best bet here is that he finishes it inside the distance. But from a DFS standpoint, a fourth or fifth round stoppage with not a lot of strikes along the way isn't really what we need from a guy that top tier salary. So this is one where, you know, we usually want the winner of the main event, but I think you could be okay without him in at least some of your lineups this time. Very good. So limited thoughts from the guys here on the main event. We make the turn now to our favorite underdog plays because that's what we come here for, for the analysis to dive into the deeper stuff and figure out what is also available to us that we can explore outside of the main event and outside some of the more obvious Money line plays, as Sean mentioned, you can piece things together in a parlay. But what about an underdog bet that stands alone, Sean, that you like? I'm taking AJ Fletcher on the money line here, plus 180 at FanDuel. This line has come in a little bit, but I still think it's wide. Semmelsberger probably has the most overinflated strength of schedule in UFC history. He's beaten three guys who are either no longer with the promotion or should probably be cut. And Jason Witt, Witt is no chin, knocked him out immediately. Fought Martin Snow, who's a friend of Nick and Nate Diaz, knocked him out immediately, went to decision with Carlton Minus. But the one thing you can see in Semmelsberger's tape, especially going back to his regional days, he's a bit weak on the grappling end. I think somebody who has good grappling skill can take advantage of him, and that's exactly what Fletcher is going to do. He has all the grappling upside in this matchup at close to plus two to one in odds. So the fact that Fletcher can look for takedowns here, keep it pretty close in the striking on the feet, I think Fletcher is going to make this fight very competitive. And if it ends up going the distance, you're going to want that Fletcher ticket at plus money in your hands. That said, I think Fletcher has a chance to submit him on the ground. Just the way that Semmelsberger fights for hooks or doesn't fight for hooks, I should say, up against the cage really concerns me. So I see Fletcher having some grappling success, particularly early. Semmelsberger, the bigger guy, eight-inch reach advantage, certainly carries more power too. But I think Fletcher has some finishing upside of his own. I think their decision equity is probably about equal here. So this should be a close competitive fight. So give me the plus 180. Semmelsberger, like I said, on that strength of schedule, this is exactly the type of fighter who you look to fade. They built up a resume in the UFC, but I think it's a little faulty. 
Billy, underdog bet, your favorite. Yeah, I'm going with Alex Caceres. I think the best line you can get right now is plus 215. He's fighting Sadiq Yusuf in what's looking like it should be a primarily stand-up fight. Yusuf's only attempted like just under half of a takedown per round in his UFC career. But Caceres has some sneaky grappling. He's got a bunch of submission wins on there. So this profiles as a fight where stand-up is pretty even. You know, Yusuf might have a slight edge, but if that starts going poorly for Bruce Leroy, he can just take him to the ground. It's a good way to steal some rounds. This fight doesn't look like it's necessarily the likeliest end by a stoppage. I think it's one of the longer ones, actually. Um, yeah, it's even money to end by a stoppage. So if it goes to decision and Caceres has stolen a couple rounds with takedowns in there, I really like his upside at that. And, you know, he's 5-0 and in his last five fights. He was a plus-180 underdog against another rising prospect in Chase Hooper. And I think we need to stop writing him off as a gatekeeper and start thinking about Caceres as a legitimate contender right now. Yeah, I like Caceres as well. I'm on his money line, too. And I really like his submission prop also, considering that's higher than his knockout prop. That doesn't really make sense to me. He's really good at taking the back up along the cage. So he doesn't even necessarily need takedowns to get control time or have grappling success here. If he's able to get to Yusuf's back, lock it, body triangle, take the neck. I think that's a viable path to victory, both on minutes or potentially by submission. Yeah, take a look around all the books, folks. Caceres on DraftKings is plus 215. Over on the uh, on BetMGM, he's plus 210. So those odds are moving. Uh, and as we, you know, as we encourage you all to be, keep your eyes open as those movements occur, uh, occur as the, uh, the week goes on. Let's move on to uh, the guys' fight of the night. They are keying in on Bruno Silva and Alex Pereira. This middleweight fight, both fighters coming off wins last time out why is this a fight first off sean that you are particularly interested in well it's lined so heavily to finish inside the distance i believe it's one of the heavier lines i've seen as high as minus 700 to end inside the distance around 85 to 90 percent implied uh Pereira is catching a lot of hype because he knocked out israel adesanya in kickboxing i believe beat him twice if you go back and watch those fights, Adesanya is kind of putting it on him until Pereira knocks him out. This guy has crazy power, incredible check left hook. Well, it looks like he's built out of an oak tree, trains with Glover Teixeira in Connecticut, so he's definitely making improvements. But that said, I don't really know if his kickboxing style translates to MMA as well as somebody like Adesanya's does. Adesanya, a much more fluid striker. Pereira, a bit more stationary and just kind of pops you with power, knocks you down, doesn't really move his head a ton. So if we're going to get a wild striking affair on the feet with four-ounce gloves, yeah, Silva can definitely put him away. Former M1 champion in Russia. Really good durability, actually, and good cardio, too. He's fought into the fourth round. A bit questionable in terms of Pereira's cardio. We really haven't seen him get extended, but we did see him get submitted earlier in his career. I don't think his grappling is necessarily great. He's able to survive on the ground when you take him down, but eventually he's able to find his way back to his feet, as he did against Michaelitis and his debut and knock him out with the flying knee. So he's got some fantastic techniques on the feet. As long as he's able to survive on the ground and eventually get back up, I think he's going to be able to find his way to victory. And Silva's probably going to need to grapple to find some success. I don't see him having a ton of success in a range kickboxing match with Pereira. Seen Bruno Silva fall behind on volume or just fall behind on minutes and find consecutive third round knockouts. So Silva definitely live in a high variance fight, potentially live as he's able to secure takedowns. But submission prop plus 1,600 for me is my favorite way to play him, and that's my only bet on this fight. Otherwise, I'm just going to sit back, gather some information, and just enjoy the violence. 
Pereira and Silva, they have takedown defenses that mirror each other. But, of course, we have more of a sample size with Silva this year. Billy, how about you? This is a fight that we wanted to focus on. What jumps out to you for Silva-Pereira? Well, the biggest thing is you're almost definitely going to have to have the winner of this one in DFS. Pereira is obviously a lot more expensive, you know, in line with his odds. But it's unlikely that Silva can get a boring win here. He probably needs to either put him away or just be constantly landing takedowns. So this is one where, you know, I'm going to go to that Fantasy Labs optimizer and create a rule where I've got one of these guys in every single lineup I build. I actually do like Bruno Silva's money line, though. It's not quite a striker versus grappler matchup because Silva's more of a striker normally. I think he needs to play it like a striker versus grappler matchup. Not worry about trying to prove how tough he is against the kickboxing champ. Get inside, get some takedowns. And, you know, like Sean says, we haven't really seen a lot of great grappling out of Pereira. So I always want to lean towards the grappler in that matchup and the guy with more MMA experience. It's different striking with four-ounce gloves. You know, you can block with a big glove. You can't really block with the four-ounce gloves. I think all that is just enough to tip me towards Silva. I think plus 165 right now. UFC Fight Night 203, Brendan Glasheen, Sean Zarello, Billy Ward. We are getting you set for Saturday. Be sure to check us out every Friday, we are making our way through the card and going through some of our favorite plays for Saturday. We move on to our favorite prop for each of the guys. Sean, where are you looking on the prop market? Yeah, you guys know I like to give out those long shot submission props. I already said Caceres by submission 1100, Silva 1600. So those are my favorite long shot props. But in terms of a bet that I really like, we're going to go J.J. Aldrich and Jillian Robertson to go to a decision or to go the distance. You could get that minus 104 at FanDuel. Bet it plus 122 yesterday. I think that line was insane. Women's flyweight fights, they go to decision about 60% of the time. So about minus 150 implied. You were getting plus money yesterday. You're still getting minus 104 today. I think that's tremendous value. And that's right where I have this fight projected, about 59 to 60% to see the scorecards. Most of the finishing upside lies on the Robertson side. I believe she's the all-time leader in women's submissions in UFC history. So she definitely has some elite skills. That said, Aldrich is a brown belt. I think she can survive on the mat. She doesn't carry much power herself. So if Robertson can't get takedowns in the late stages and starts to tire out, I don't necessarily see Aldrich putting her away. So most of the finishing upside really tied to a Jillian submission. Don't really see a knockout on either side or an Aldrich submission. I think there's tremendous value on that fight to go to a decision, especially compared to the average for women's flyweight fights, like I said, closer to 60%. Billy, where are we looking on the prop market? Just to uh, add into what Sean says, I was looking it up real quick while you were talking. Zero knockdowns between either of those two in their UFC careers. So if it's going to be a stoppage, it's going to be a submission. So co-sign on that one, but just wanted to throw that little nugget on there. But yeah, on my side, I really like Dolce Lungi and Bula to finish inside the distance. I saw this at plus 150 yesterday. Line was moving, so you might not be able to quite get that. He's fighting Cody Brundridge, who was knocked out in his contender series fight by William Knight, who's looked really good since then. And then he lost a decision to Nick Maximoff, who doesn't really try to finish anyone. So I don't think we worry about him surviving that one. Uh, Lungi and Bula has two UFC wins. One was a KO. But the thing I'm really looking at, he's four inches shorter but has a four inch reach advantage. And that's super advantageous for MMA because you can carry more power, but still get the benefits of being the taller guy. So he's not weighed down by the extra torso weight, 
so he can make a lower weight class, but then also just be able to hit from that much farther. And then also has a judo background. So if Runder tries to make it a grappling match, he can find a submission in there too. The knockout prop is plus 180, but I'd rather just play inside the distance at plus 150 just on the odds of those submissions. All right, very nice. That should be a, a good fight. That one is uh, one of the highlighted fights on the card. Billy, we're going to move now to DFS. We've already sprinkled in some DFS discussion uh, earlier in the episode. If you want to scroll back and check it out, Silva, Pereira, two guys that either one is prioritized for Billy in each of his lineups, one or the other, based on how he thinks the winning lineup might shake out in GPPs or in cash games. Also, we discussed the possibility of fading Ankalaev, the most expensive fighter at 9,600. What is another approach or another angle you're taking into making a DFS lineup for this weekend? Yeah, one of the other fights that I think we really need to pay a lot of attention to is uh, Drew Dober versus McKinney. That's got the next best odds to end inside the distance at minus 280. Um, you know, McKinney's won both of his, I think both in the first round, right, Sean? Both of his UFC fights? Yep. And, you know, Dober, until his last two fights, we were talking about him as a possible title challenger, this up-and-coming prospect. McKinney took it on short notice, which I think helps Dober, but it also probably increases the likelihood that McKinney looks for an early finish, comes out really hard, tries to put him away. And then if he doesn't, you've got Dober, Dober racking up takedowns and control time, possibly finishing him later in the fight if McKinney runs out of gas. So that's another one. Uh, Sean, any opinions on which of those guys you'd prefer to target? Yeah, I'm probably going to use a little bit of each, actually. But like you said, nice. probably have at least one or the other in most of my lineups. I just uh, I expect violence here. McKinney has admitted that he looks for first-round finishes. It's just the way he fights. He's very explosive. But his effectiveness tends to wane the later his fight goes. So McKinney round one, Dober round two, round three. Those are the round props I would target. I'm just betting the fight to end inside the distance. Got minus 210 or I believe minus 200 even. Under two and a half at minus 190 at BetMGM is the way I'd play it at this point. Anything else, Billy? Maybe a value pick that you might be eyeing for DFS? Yeah, on the lower end, I'm looking at Sabina Matso. Uh, she, I believe, is the cheapest fighter on the card. Let me look real quick. She is, if not the cheapest one of, she's 6,800, so not quite. But this fight is very likely to go to a decision, like, you know, Sean brought up the smaller women's fights. But Matzo also throws more strikes per round than any other fighter on this card. So she doesn't necessarily need a win to put up a good, good enough score at 6,800. Then if she gets the win bonus on top of that, she's a great GPP play. But particularly for cash games, when they're trying to find some savings to fit one of these 9,000-plus fighters in there, mm-hmm. I really like just the amount of volume she's going to put up. She's going to land some strikes, whether they're super effective or not. We don't really care. We get the same DFS scoring if she touches her. So if she gets 15 minutes, she throws 75 strikes per round. That's a lot of total strikes attempted. As long as some of those land home, she's not going to tank your lineups at very, very cheap. Interesting. So I think the, the sense I'm getting here is fights that could go go the distance potentially are, are good fights to target is what I'm getting a hang of here the last couple of weeks when it comes to DFS in the in MMA. Well, particularly cash games and particularly when you need someone cheap, because if you've got someone cheap, you're not necessarily expecting them to win. So if they're going to lose, we want them to have 15 minutes of scoring before they lose. For the GPPs and the more expensive fighters, we want those that end sooner because you get more points if it ends earlier. So makes sense. Makes sense. The longer they go, the more points for all of us. Fantastic. Before we go, before we end this episode of uh, UFC, our UFC betting preview, Fight Night 203. Let's get to our best bets. Sean, 
We'll start with you, sir. Give me Damon Jackson, the leech minus 110 at Caesars is where I bet it. This line's come down a lot. He was plus 140 earlier in the week, but I think he has a good archetype to be Kamuela Kirk here. Kirk faced Makwan Amirakani, very similar fighter in his last matchup. I believe that was his UFC debut. And he had some trouble stopping the takedowns, was able to work his way back to the feet, kind of a sprawl and brawl type fighter. But the issue with Amirakani, which is always the case, doesn't have great stamina. That's not the case with Damon Jackson. Jackson's going to go for all 15 minutes. I would actually give him the cardio advantage against Kirk. So better cardio, all of the grappling upside. He tends to get in on you, just sort of cling on you, eventually get you down. But it's very similar to what you saw Bryce Mitchell do to Edson Barbosa last week. Just sort of get in on your hips, cling on to you, and eventually find a way to drag you to the ground. So Jackson should be able to rack up minutes of control time here. I think the striking is actually going to be fairly close. I don't think Jackson is going to fall behind too dramatically if they just end up standing at kickboxing range, they end up boxing in the pocket. So Jackson should be close on the feet, but all of the grappling upside, in my opinion, make him closer to 60%, about minus 150 implied. Like his decision prop two at two to one and make that closer to plus 130. But Damon Jackson on the money line is going to be my best bet for this weekend. To get it about minus 110, but I'd play that up to about minus 125 or even minus 130. All right. And I think, Billy, you're going to go to the prelims as well. Yeah. You know, Sean stole my thunder a little bit earlier on this one, but I sent the email first, so I'm still rolling with it. Uh, That's, and with- by the way, that is how it works. You know, whoever gets to the email <laughs> first, they, they get first dibs. That's just how it goes. My segment just came first, so that's how I was able to one-up you. <laughs> that's true. That's I, was gonna say, I, should, <laughs> I should have switched the segment order when I did that. But, no, um, I'm also going with A.J. Fletcher. Sean pointed out you can still get him at plus 180. I got him at plus 200 earlier in the week. Again, that's a very good sign that we're in the right direction. The only thing I wanted to add on is Sean said he was you know, worried about Semmelsberger's power advantage. I don't know that that's so true. If you guys have looked up A.J. Fletcher or seen pictures of him, he's built like just a miniature NFL linebacker. He, I think he was like an all-state football player in high school. He's Extremely, got like a Christian McCaffrey haircut kind of. He too. does, yeah. but like somehow more jacked than Christian McCaffrey, but way shorter. <laughs> but um, yeah, just super explosive guy. He ended his contender series fight with a flying knee where it looked like he jumped about 30 inches before he got the knee. So I'm with Sean on the grappling advantage, but I think he's also got a lot of power in there too. So there's just too many ways for him to win. I don't really think Semmelsberger is, you know, a solid UFC level fighter. I think Fletcher is going to be a contender. He's going to be scary for a little bit until he runs into someone who can keep his tiny T-Rex arms away from him. I think I'm just on general principle, when you get these like unranked fighters who are minus 200, minus 300, even Miranda Maverick, you, you mentioned against Mazo. Yeah. When you get these unranked fighters who are substantial favorites against somebody who can make the fight competitive, it's almost clearly a dog or pass situation every time, just based on the fact that the fight should be more competitive than a higher ranked fighter taking on a prospect or an up and comer. Yeah, I'm I'm totally with that. And I I did a piece a while back where if you just blindly bet every underdog on like fight night prelims, how much money you'd make. And it's it's pretty solid long term. So totally with that. And yeah, I'm all over Fletcher this week. Guys, great stuff. Look forward to Saturday, folks. Thanks for tuning in to the Action Network podcast, your betting preview for UFC fight night 203 for Sean Zarillo. You can find his work over on the Action Network. He is a senior writer. Billy Ward, one of our great analysts uh, for MMA, also a former MMA fighter. So be sure to check those guys out covering all things MMA and UFC over on the Action Network. Brendan Glasheen signing off. Once again, we are here every Friday getting you set 
for the main event, also the prelims in UFC. So be sure to join us next Friday here on the Action Network podcast.